0: Welcome to Short Course, episode 75, for September 22nd, 2021. I'm your host, Ben Barry. I know this podcast has been a little sparse recently. I've been taking all the content that normally would be these solo episodes and writing them up as blog posts, which has been generally a good thing. It's been working out, uh, and I see that continuing. But as we're in an interesting chapter for the sport, I thought it might be an interesting chance to take the podcast and turn it into something a little bit different short-form interview show having 20 to 30-minute conversations with people who i think have something interesting to add to the conversation and this episode is the first it's an experiment i learned a lot doing it and hopefully i'll be doing a lot more soon things are as busy as ever with me so no promises on a schedule but hopefully there'll be more of these forthcoming my guest for this episode was mason lane and we get into his bio at the top of the interview but the only thing I will really add is don't assume that I agree 100% with everything he says. We have a lot of overlap in, in our thoughts, uh, but you know I think everyone has uh, has something different to offer. And that's okay. I, I don't intend to or want to agree 100% with everyone I talk to on the podcast. Uh, I just want people who wouldn't normally have a way to have their voice be heard because they don't have a podcast or a blog or something like that I want them to have a voice and to be able to contribute because a lot of these people are people who are out actually doing the job. They're teaching classes and shooting matches, and they don't have time to do things like host a podcast. And so if, if I can give them an outlet to put some of their ideas out there and contribute to the conversation as we go into the this upcoming election, then that's mission accomplished for me. So I look forward to talking to and sharing as many as I can. It definitely won't be as many as I would like, but it'll be as many as I can manage. So here is the first two, hopefully more, short course interview podcasts. Thank you for listening. Mason Lane, welcome to Short Course. Thank you very much. You and I—we've uh, talked over the years. We, I think, we did an episode or two of uh, Shoot Fast podcast together. But for those of you who have not heard anything, you're on. What's your sort of quick bio? I mean, you—you you shoot a lot. It's basically your living at this point. How do you see yourself as a shooter?
1: Uh, I define myself to people who ask as a semi-professional shooter. <laughs> so. I I, I shoot a lot of matches some successfully Uh, I have some sponsors and stuff but I make most of my money from teaching other people how to shoot better the sport is something that's near and dear to my heart I've been shooting for almost 10 years now
0: and you're GM in a couple divisions you've I think you got a limited title under your belt yeah you're the guy who shot one handed for like most of a year
1: yeah I've done I've done some cool stuff over the years I'm a GM in a few divisions I won a nationals last year which was cool I shot two nationals with one hand once which was cool
0: So for those folks out there who may not be up on the details, right now we're recording this in September 2021. The vote came down from the board, Mike Foley is out, Sherwin-Greenfield is acting VP, and at some point in the future there will be a special election to elect someone to serve out the rest of this term. And in the meantime, approximately everyone and their mother has sort of said they're running for president. Yes. That's about the, the whole of it. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good synopsis. So the reason I kind of wanted to get you on the call and hopefully others in the future is this really is a sort of crossroads for the sport. I think a lot of people were sort of united in being frustrated with the way things were going, but now the challenge is to sort of build a consensus about the what we want instead. You know, it's easy to, mm-hmm. to be against, but we want to talk about where we want to see the sport actually go, not just where we, where we want to pull it back from. Yep. And I saw a, a pretty interesting exchange that you had kind of signal boosted. And I just wanted to kind of riff on that because I thought, you know, th- there were some good points made and I know you are someone who takes this stuff seriously. I mean, like I said, obviously you compete, but you know, there isn't that much money in the actual competition right now. It's much more in the, in the in the teaching but you are someone who's you know passionate about the sport and want to see it succeed as a sport not just as a hobby and something people do on the weekends is that, a, is that yes. a fair statement
1: yep i poured a lot of time into it to not make very much money which should tell you how much i like it
0: exactly so what kind of kicked this off was an exchange uh that like i said you had signal boosted between somebody who had posted an Instagram story and then someone else, uh, a, a mutual friend of friend of ours, Tyler Turner, who responded to it. And I just wanted to kind of read that out because I thought what was said on both sides was a, was a pretty cogent take on, I think what are two emerging viewpoints. And then, like I said, just kind of riff on that for a bit. So the original post and again, this was a couple weeks ago, and, and I don't know, you know, this guy who, who made the original post, so it's not really relevant who he is. But, but like I said, this is a, a, a pretty comprehensive take, I think, of, of one side of the view, uh, which says, I understand and advocated for the need to make a change in USPSA leadership. At the same time, I also acknowledge that the previous president did a lot of good things for the sport, spearheading carry optics, PCC and more. We stand at a crossroads and begin the process of picking new leadership. Don't undermine the good that was done and pick a regressive FUD that will make the first order of business banning flashlights or appendix carry. We need to continue the positive rules changes to modernize the sport and increase participation. Don't let this positive event become a move by entrenched elites to undo the good that has been done in the sport. So Tyler says, not a good take. This fails to recognize that the modernization of rules and insane focus on participation was entirely an artificial agenda to achieve personal financial gain. Don't be fooled into thinking any of this progress was done for the good of the sport. We need a president who prioritizes competitive excellence above all. Ironic that the author thinks we're in danger from regressive, entrenched elites when that's exactly what the Foley administration represented. The standard for our sport should should not be how many warm bodies we can pack into a match. We ought to be acutely concerned with the quality of our competitions and unpopular opinion time, the quality of our competitors. Higher barriers to entry result in higher quality members and investment in the sport. The org should be concerned with shooter development and performance. The org itself should care more that its members are improving as shooters instead of what cool new parts they get to bolt on their guns. Maybe that's the place to start. What's the problem with flashlights and appendix carry? You know, it seems like, well, you know, we're just making the sport more inclusive. Like, I know this issue's kind of been debated to death, but for someone who sort of hasn't hasn't heard, like, what's the issue? Why was adding those things to the production and CO rule set not helpful to competition?
1: In my opinion, there's nothing wrong with any individual rule change you can make. Almost, almost. I mean that almost completely. Uh, so, say to take flashlights for example. Take addition of carry optics or PCC. as that guy addressed? Take you know the the belt positioning rules. None of those things in isolation are necessarily bad for competition, right? Like people will say, hey, why are you so against flashlights? And it's it's I can tell you it's not because I'm afraid that I'm going to get beat by someone with a flashlight. It's because of the fact it's not it does it doesn't contribute to the benefit of the sport in any way. And it's intended to try to bait more people end up participating, which isn't really what we need to be doing at all, really.
0: Yeah. So, so why is that? Why? So, you know, Tyler kind of says, why is, why is the sport actually healthier with not necessarily arbitrarily high barriers to entry, but correctly calculated, meaningful barriers?
1: Because we don't have the carrying capacity as far as the number of clubs and, and resources that we need to support every gun owner America being USPSA member right now. That's why if we just blindly increase participation numbers, we're going to run into some issues, right? So having some barriers to entry, they're going to encourage people who are really serious about competing or really serious about, who basically take one look at USPSA and say, without beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's what I want to do. Not someone that needs you to basically, you know, bend the rules to make them want to be a part of it. Like if someone showed up to a match and they had, you know, like a Ruger Mark III or something like that, you know, it's like, hey man, we really, we're glad that you're interested, but uh, you can't use that here. Oh, well, why not? Because it's not going to knock down our steel and it's going to be obtuse for you know, the match flow and that's just not what we're going to do. If you really think this is cool, you should get some gear that'll work for this or borrow some from someone and come back and do it. Uh, and if that guy says, nah, I think I'm okay, then the sport wasn't for him to begin with. And frankly, people that don't care about the sport enough to even go get or borrow gear that makes sense for the divisions we have, they probably don't really need that much political power to be influencing you know the rules and systems that we have in place.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the idea being you want to take of all the potential candidates that might come in, you want to basically weed out the ones who, you know, just aren't that interested. Right.
1: Yeah. And so what you're going to hear from, uh, what this guy alleges is the elites, right? I'm, I assume you and I both fall into that category because we're pretty staunchly anti, uh, all, most of the stuff that he purported as benefits of the previous administration. Uh, I think that's probably going to be worth, the two ideological lines are drawn, right, between people that are under this impression that progress comes from the form of, you know, packing people into matches, and people that believe that, as Tyler alluded to, uh, the quality of competitions and the quality of engagement of shooters is the most important thing that you can that you can value, and that's really going to define, at least in my view, the two uh, the two main camps that are going to be contending for this upcoming ele-
0: election. So, I mean, to the people who say, well, you know, membership growth has, you know, USPSA is the biggest it's ever been, members have been steadily growing, and this at the same time that we've been, you know, making this sport more approachable, why should we change that? Right? The sport's growing. Isn't that a good thing?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, first, first of all, I think it's important to understand that the organization is, is, it's a nonprofit, but it's not a charity. Uh, so it, it's not just intended to be, you know, hey, like, let's get everyone out and get their first exposure shooting a gun. It's not intended to be that. Uh, they have there's a lot of programs that are in place that are good for that. Even Steel Challenge is pretty good for that. But USPSA as a shooting discipline is not intended to be, you know, strictly speaking inclusive. It's intended to be a crucible for competition. So you know, eight year olds, people that don't really care that much about competing, the guy with the Ruger Mark III that I spoke about a minute ago, right, like someone's wife who might come like once every three years, like those people aren't necessarily the people who are really trying super hard to pull into the fold. We're looking to get people who are really enthusiastic about, you know, practical shooting as a discipline and want to get better at it and compete. That's what our sport is optimized for. Not every person who's peripherally interested in firearms.
0: Right. And even if we had capacity in all the matches, making, you know, making the rules unnecessarily broad, you know, allowing basically everything under the sun, when those aren't something that necessarily adds to to competition. Right. There, there's a right. case to be made that even if we had the space and matches just adding random stuff that's allowed that, that doesn't actually enhance, you know, competitiveness, it doesn't make the guns more interesting to shoot. It just means you don't have to, you know, buy a competition specific holster. You know, if, if you're having to cater to people who, who are that uninterested in competing, I mean, like you say, what are we doing this for?
1: Right. And so as a thought experiment, right, let's just say that the capacity Aspect is removed from the situation. Let's say that every range in, in America all of a sudden is a USPSA club. Uh, it's still not a good thing for there to be like, you know, 15 different rim fire divisions, a single action revolver division, plus all the divisions we have, plus multi gun divisions. Like at the end of the day, it's a competition. And when you're there's the implication of be having a competition is that you're going to award people for winning and competing and doing well. Like that's the whole point. So when you dilute down the meaning of, of, of winning or the meaning of competing, by having, you know, two dozen meaningless divisions or all kinds of contradictory or, you know, nonsensical rules, it does, you know, degrade what it means to have a competition and an organization that is intended to, you know, promote competition. I know not everyone necessarily shares that view, and not everyone necessarily shares the view that we don't need every individual we can possibly get involved with the sport either. And I I'm sure that would be regarded as a hot take. But uh it's just at least, you know, the way our sport is structured now in the way it's optimized. It's not really optimized for those sorts of people or those sorts of guns or anything like that. Like you mentioned, like Tyler mentioned, barriers to entry that are sensibly placed and, you know, deter people that don't really care that much are not necessarily a bad thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, the real question is, you know, where, where where's the soul of, of USPSA? Is it at the club match? Is it at nationals? I mean, obviously it's a balance somewhere in between, but you know, at the end of the day, Anybody can, can start a local outlaw club match. In fact, I mean, I've done it around here, like, you know, and, and we don't run USPSA rules because, because it's meant to be beginner friendly. It's, you know, run what mm-hmm. you brung, gun gun two mags, you know, just show up and shoot. But that's, you know, it's a different sport where USPSA, you know, it, to some degree it is, it is the rules. Like you say, it's the crucible at which we will test and determine a national champion and determine our team to send to the world shoot to represent the United States.
1: That's right in the first page of the mission statement. There's there's five items which I can never fully remember off of hand, uh, and it, it really does at least in passing allude to the fact that USPSA has a, has a place on a club level from people that you know want to shoot a match once a year all the way up through a world shoot. And I, I won't bother to attempt to recall what those items are in specific, but you can find them on the first or second page of the rule book. Uh, on the subject of you know candidates and ideas and stuff. One of the ideas that's been batted around a lot lately is that Steel Challenge should be bisected from USPSA or, as far as the organizational leadership goes. And I think that's a really good idea for that exact reason. Because, you know, at least as one organizing body, it seems like it's really difficult to manage what's good for clubs, for people that just want an inclusive you know, atmosphere uh, with all the benefits of this dude, you know, as, as sort of cited and there's the guys like you and I that are really serious about competing and want to compete on the highest levels possible. And it seems like it's a really tall order to manage and you know, make the best possible experience for both of those two different camps of people. So bisecting or segregating, if you will, uh, the organizational leadership of Steel Challenge and USPSA at a minimum would make it so that you could at least have people that really care about both of those things a lot in charge. I know I can speak for myself when I say I wouldn't want someone who's strictly a steel challenge shooter to be involved with, you know, managing what happens at USPSA matches because they're not going to care and they're not going to look after my interests as well as I can myself. And vice versa, I would imagine, you know, I'm not going to be particularly apt at managing steel challenge because I don't do that very much and I don't know what they would want. So there's one specific idea which really paints into, again, the same broader discussion over whether or not we should be... uh, you know, leading those things individually, or how we should be managing at a minimum. Uh, it seems like for sure it would be a good idea to, you know, put people in charge who care the most about the stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. If you if you have different purposes, they can be owned by one organization. I mean, maybe that's smart, maybe it isn't, but yeah, certainly having different people overseeing the, the different departments who who care about those. So, what's the case to be made that USPSA would actually be a stronger organization, you know, potentially if it were a, I mean, not necessarily smaller, but if it were to grow more slowly with a more dedicated competitor pool from a headquarters perspective, I mean, what's the, what's the upside? Like, why not just chase participation?
1: So, I mean, the view it seems of the prior administration, if that's what you're asking is that, you know, it's, it's a 30 or 40,000 member strong organization you know there's only 4000 active quote unquote active members for people meaning people who like routinely shoot multiple matches per year so the 37000 or whatever whatever the number is a much significantly significantly larger majority are the ones foot in the bill for pretty much everything so we should be it is their view that they should be doing everything they can to get more people out to club matches like you know with whatever frequency possible most likely you know if they throw a bunch of marketing dollars at it the best they can hope to do is, you know, get people to come to maybe one or two more matches per year. Uh, I don't really necessarily agree with that, obviously, based on the way I've been speaking. Uh, And it it seems that the main benefit of doing that is for financial gain for the organization. And again, it's, if anyone's seen our financials, we're not really hard up for cash and ultimately it's a nonprofit. So,
0: so in your view, as long as the, the org can, you know, cover the cost to put on a, Uh, high quality nationals, you know, send out whatever collateral, you know, you need to, to get to members, you know, potentially help out clubs to some degree if possible. But as long as we're, you know, breaking even, you know, we, we don't necessarily need to just be chasing the dollar as long as we're doing, you know, like what are the core jobs that as long as they're done? Here's, here's a not particularly hot
1: take at this point, right? Is, you know, it's impossible to complain about or you know, be motivated by money and say oh we don't have money for this, we don't have money for that, we have to host nationals at this range because they're cheapest, it's impossible to make any sort of a financial case when you're giving away $300,000 to three people. So you know, it's like if, if you really wanted to make anything happen, you could borrow money from somewhere to make it happen. The financials of the organization really are not interesting to me at all, as long as we have the money we need to, to look after everyone's interests. And I don't think USPSA needs, USPSA needs to start, like, building ranges for people or, uh, you know, reaching down into the grassroots, like, on that really deep level and, like, propping clubs up and throwing money all over the place. But if they can host a decent nationals and they can host a decent, you know, N- NROI program, then those seem like two really good places to start to me if you need to spend money somewhere.
0: And those are two places from what you've seen that, that really are not uh, getting a lot of resources dedicated to them?
1: I mean I don't want to throw too much shade on 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 specifics because I don't really want to volunteer specific opinions on what I would do differently. It's this like we talked about we want to keep this thing brief but uh yeah like I, I think you know people had multiple multiple criticisms of of the nationals that was her- hosted earlier this year as far as the resources that were doled out in the form of bathrooms and food and uh, you know straight from Foley's mouth he said that they took this place because it was the cheapest and I don't really know if that's necessarily the best reason to do anything, not that the facility isn't nice and stuff. And it's no secret either that NROI has been slipping over the last, you know, since, since the full administration started. The, uh, the RO quality seems to be inverse to the level of the match that you go to these days. And I think that's probably the opinion of most of the, quote-unquote, active members that you would talk to. Uh, it's, it's, it's not good. There's a lot of things that need to be fixed, both with the actual rule book, and there's a lot of things that need to be fixed with how we, you know, service, supply, and discipline match staff uh, when it comes to ensuring quality. I, I don't really know necessarily know if the latter part of that is even necessarily need to be solved with dollars. Probably not. I feel in a lot of cases it's not, here's a hot take, it's not necessarily about comprehension of rules on the part of the staff uh, that's the issue. So I, I don't necessarily know specifically what to do differently, but I don't necessarily think that needs money to fix.
0: And to some degree it's it's a matter of having someone in the office who, you know, Who really
1: cares who their number one priority is, as Tyler said, making competitions excellent and ensuring competitive quality and equity and not just growing participation.
0: And when they don't know the answer, you know, reaching out to people, you know, polling, maybe not the membership, but Hey, you know, everybody who's been involved in, you know, running a level two match this year. Hey, what worked, what didn't.
1: Yep. And so this is again, you know, to, to take a step further, this has been one of the most common and, uh, scathing criticisms of the past administration is they did not solicit feedback from members in any way. Uh, one of the first things I would try to amend if I were uh, you know if I was king for a day is ensuring there's referendums on things that happen uh, especially when it comes to changing bylaws, but in particular with uh, rule changes because it's been you know have nothing more for the, the benefit of your USPSA political career. That's a good idea, obviously. People are very upset about how many things they change without you know asking for permission. And for the long-term health of the organization, if you're changing you know, positions and bylaws and the way that you structure the organization, that needs to be voted on by referendum, not just by a closed captive audience.
0: Yeah. I mean, it kind of seems like a lot, especially with, with some of these rules. I mean, I don't know if you agree with this, but it, it looks to me like they didn't ask because they knew the answer wasn't going to be favorable. So they wanted to just do it anyway.
1: Or maybe they didn't even think about it. In all honesty, that's really what it seems like to me. Like When it comes to like, the flashlight thing, like I, I don't think... I'm sure they thought people would love that. Like, that's why they did it. You know, like, they did it because of the fact they thought it would get more people involved. But they didn't think about any of the potential adverse consequences. Like, in a matter of hours from that rule rolling out, there was people machining, like, tungsten battery slugs to put in your flashlight, right? It's like, well, clearly that was not the intention, but that was just they didn't think about the unintended consequences at all. Well, that's an issue.
0: Yeah. I mean, because there, there were sort of two issues there. One is, is this generally the direction we want to go? And secondarily, if it is, let's make sure we wrote, we write an airtight rule set that actually defines, you know, what a flashlight is. And so for sure,
1: not to nitpick, you know, the, the specifics of the flashlight thing specifically, but all that could have been fixed by thinking it through a little bit more thoroughly. Right. And, or. Uh, having some kind of a, you know, option for public commentary, which at the time was a part of the bylaws and they just did whatever they wanted anyway.
0: Well, like I said, I I think this is going to be the, hopefully the the first of many discussions. Um, You know, we're going into this uh, the season where apparently at some point in the future, there will be a special election. Nobody really knows when or where. Yeah. That information has been pretty hard to get a hold of, but. So hopefully I'll get a chance to talk about this again sometime and otherwise. I'm sure we will. (laughs) yeah I'm sure we will Um, this is
1: good I mean the one good thing like for for all the shit we've talked over the last like half hour right the one good thing is people are more politically engaged right now with the org and they care more than they ever have in the past and the number one way to to make change is to increase political engagement because if people know at least know what's going on and care you know they're a lot more likely to hold people accountable to make sure their leadership is working for them which is a good thing
0: yeah, when, when you just get so used to don't even bother, nobody cares, nobody's listening, uh, people just tune out and and that, that's the way, you know, the organization sort of gets into a, a death spiral. And Yeah, uh,
1: I, I, mean, I mean, that was like the way that Foley like campaigned for his second term was like, he's like, oh yeah, people are always surprised when they email me and I respond and I, I'm trying to be really responsive. And then it's like six months later, he's blocking people on Facebook for criticizing <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah so so oh, there's, good times. there's room for improvement things good good change is coming as long as people continue to care and they continue to talk about the stuff they want i think really good things are coming soon
0: i hope so and hopefully this contributes to that discussion so mason lane thanks for your time
1: oh thank you buddy